What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Monday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, and if you are observing Patriots Day today, which is the holiday here in Massachusetts and in Maine, then hopefully you're having a great day off. I know a lot of states in the area, especially the other New England states, don't, which is surprising, which I thought was a kind of a known thing. And there goes my dog barking in the background. But anyways, I guess I found out that only Massachusetts and Maine celebrate uh, Patriots Day. So, all right, dude, chill out. Chill. And now the bird is chirping. Anyways, guys, welcome back to another episode. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying, as I really appreciate that. Hopefully, you had an incredible weekend. The weather was very, very, very nice out. And hopefully... The cold weather is done and over with, as I've been saying over and over and over again. Um, Also, I just kind of want to shout out my Amazon affiliate links down below. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see those links down in the description below. If you're listening on audio-only platforms, please go over to my Twitter where you will also find where my links are. They are uh, relatively posted very, very often. And you can find them there as well as when you click the link, anything you buy within 24 hours of accessing Amazon through those links, I will get a small percentage back, which is no extra charge to you, which I would greatly appreciate if you were able to hook a brother up. Anyways, uh, let's just get into what we really have to dive into, and that is the Bruins and their huge, huge successful weekend the Red Sox, which were a little up and down over the weekend. And of course, I want to touch upon the Celtics as well. But first and foremost, we must talk about the Boston Bruins as they defeated the Washington Capitals 6-3 to in a true battle of contenders. Anybody who watched that game, you were on the edge of your seats for the majority of the game. Come you know, later in the third, the Bruins started to pull away with it, but I mean... Ultimately, it was just a huge, huge game, not in just terms of winning the game outright, but in terms of the standings, morality, chemistry, um, higher seating hopes, all of that stuff you could have found in that game. And I'm going to dive more into the standings in just a moment. But can we talk about the fact that the Bruins won all three games? They won all three games. Now, I sat here on Friday and said, actually on Wednesday I even sat here and said that they need to win two out of three of those games. Okay, the first one was Thursday against the Islanders that they won. Awesome. I talked about that on Friday, and I was mentioning, like, oh, okay, they've won one. That's a good start. Just win one more of these games. Okay, they win on Friday. Obviously, there's no podcast episode over the weekend, so I have to come back around on Monday to talk about the eventual outcomes of the other two games, and that is containing two Bruins wins as they are now 25, 12, and 6 on the season with 56 total points as they are only three points behind the Penguins, four points behind the Islanders, and six points behind the Capitals for first place in the East Division. More about that in a little bit though. Um, Like I said, Bruins winning all three games were massive for the Bruins. Chemistry, morality, charisma, um, hope, optimism, confidence, you name it. All three of those games delivered that for the Bruins. And additionally, it was nice to see Tuka Rask back. 
um, on Sunday, yesterday against the Capitals. He kind of had a little bit of a slip to do there where he gave up two straight goals. Nothing he can do about it, but it was nice to see the team pick him up and having a massive response as the Bruins were able to really kind of, you know, you know, saddle back up and really take over that game, which, like I said, I will get into right now. So over the course of that game, 6-3 win over the Capitals, we saw goals from Bergeron, Krejci, and Marchand, where they all scored two goals. Uh, Marchand's second goal was an empty netter late in the third period, which really put the game out of reach for the Capitals. Again, I've been harping and raving about this guy, Craig Smith. He gets another two points via assist. This dude has been on fire. He has 18 points in his last 15 games, over a point per game average. This is something that you love to see from your second line, sometimes your first line winger. I mean, this is a massive piece for the Bruins because, you know, a lot of times over these years, you know, they've had, you know, four good forwards being... Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand, and then Krejci, and no one's really been able to play with Krejci, so they've dropped Pasternak down oftentimes to kind of help middle it out and, you know, kind of balance things out, but having Craig Smith be able to play the way he's been playing as of late has really helped the Bruins in their top two lines, and then you throw in Taylor Hall on top of that as well. Now you got six strong forwards on your top two lines, and those two lines are really, really scary. It allows your third line to kind of be who they are, and it allows your fourth line to be who they are, so you don't have to bump people up to help fill those needs on the higher lines to the point where you have to sacrifice play from the lower lines to help fill those needs on the upper lines. And I do apologize again if you do hear some chirping in the background. That is the family bird. He's in the other room trying to tell him to be quiet. <sighs> Yeah, I'm, I I apologize, but hopefully you're able to still enjoy this with um, knowing that there's a bird just kind of yapping in the background to the other birds outside. Nonetheless, let me get back to what I was saying. Um, the Bruins, yeah, fantastic game all around, and on top of the win, they were able to get their 21st thousand franchise goal. So when Patrice Bergeron scored the fifth goal of the game for the Bees. Uh, that was the franchise's 21st thousand um, franchise goal. The Boston Bruins have been a franchise dating back to 1924. And like I said, this milestone was scored by their captain, Patrice Bergeron, which was his second of the game. Very, very fitting for your captain to help put your franchise over that threshold. But with all the good stuff out of the way, all the good stuff out of the way, I have to hit on the elephant in the room. And that is the play from Tom Wilson yet again in the game against the Bruins. So anyone who didn't watch the game yesterday, I will fill you in. But first, just a little backstory. Um, a couple months ago, I believe it was, or maybe a month, I don't know, whatever, between a month or two ago, Brandon Carlo, he was out for an extended period of time with, a, I don't know if it was a concussion or not, but it was a head injury, and it was due to a hit that he suffered in, in the corner from Tom Wilson, and that's when Jared Ternorty, you know, his second game as a Bruin, dropped the gloves and went right after Tom Wilson to protect his bro, okay? Um, in this one, we saw Sean Corrales, your fourth uh, your fourth line center was trying to make a play and was falling down due to momentum and other players around him also going for the puck. Sticks kind of getting in the way. Everyone's being aggressive. 
um, in that play. So here comes Tom Wilson from, uh, I don't know, just a little bit away. I mean, he wasn't uh, across the ice per se, but he wasn't really in the play, and he goes to make said play. And like I said, he's the same guy who hit Brandon Carlo in the boards, knocking him out for a couple of weeks a little bit ago. And Tom Wilson goes to light up Sean Corrali. Meanwhile, Sean Corrali is falling down, and his head is... I guess his like head, neck, and upper body are almost parallel to the ice, and Tom Wilson hits him. Not knock. I mean, Sean Corrali got knocked down, and he was slow to get up. It was just such a dirty, dirty play, and the Bruins respond um, again. Jared Tenori, the defenseman that the Bruins claimed off waivers a couple weeks ago, goes after Tom Wilson and gets a penalty called on him. Unfortunately, the Bruins got the penalty and the Capitals didn't. Some people are saying that that was a clean play from Tom Wilson because, you know, he too had momentum. He was trying to make a play as well. But given Tom Wilson's history and what he did to the Bruins and Brandon Carlo a few weeks ago or whenever it was, it was just something that I think could have been avoided, especially with a player um, just happened to be Corrali for the Bruins falling down in the way his head was. I just don't think not giving Tom Wilson a minor kind of helps promote player safety. I'm not trying to be a simp. I'm not trying to be a bitch here. I'm just saying if you're going to promote something in terms of player safety, then you need to call it when you see it, even if it's kind of like a bang-bang play, even if it's kind of close. I mean, I'm a big proponent of you don't mess around with the head. If it was something where Corrali got his shoulder dinged up or like, you know, his knee that's just part of sports. I mean, especially contact sports like us hockey is, it's going to happen. But with the head, man, one bad hit to your head, your neck, that area could really, really mess you up for the rest of your life. So I thought that should have been a penalty on Tom Wilson, but I love seeing Jared Tenorti again, again, standing up for his teammates and trying to beat Tom Wilson's ass. Like I said, he ends up getting called for the penalty as the Bruins kill the penalty, which they do have one of the best um, penalty kill units in the league. So it was no surprise there that they're able to kill it off. How about... So if you watch the game, you know exactly what I'm about to talk about. Garnett Hathaway. Like I said, if you if you watch the game, you, you know exactly who that man is. And for those who don't, let me explain it a little bit later. Uh, let me explain it right now. So Garnet Hathaway is a forward, I believe, for the Capitals. And Tenorti, Jared Tenorti, the same guy that got the penalty for sticking up for Corrali, was in the corner, not exactly in the corner, but like a few feet away from the corner going after a puck. And uh, Hathaway just drills, drills Tenorti into the boards where Tenorti's face hit the board just in the wrong spot where Tenorti's face his mouth, his nose was just all gushing blood. Now, this dude's a big dude. He's like 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, something like that. He's a monster. So we, you know that was a big hit from Hathaway to do that to that man. Now, he's sitting there in the corner now in hockey. And just in sports in general, plays don't usually stop when you have an injured player. So the play kind of goes on. The ref looks over. He sees that they're blood. Um, then he calls the play dead, which you're supposed to do. Now... After the play was stopped, the refs reviewed that play 
that occurred from Hathaway and Tenorti, and Hathaway was given a major penalty in a game misconduct where he was ejected as a result of it. Whoa. Sorry, I'm putting a little chapstick. Lips are chapped. But um, yeah, he gets a game misconduct and a major penalty, which resulted in him being ejected from the game. Now, the Bruins go on the power play for five straight minutes. Now, for those who may not be too keen on hockey, when a team goes on a power play, you score the goal, the penalty's over, but not with five-minute majors. Oh, no, 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 no. You can score five goals on the power play, and that person staying in the box the whole five minutes. And this was, I believe, with 10, 11 minutes left in the third period, and the Capitals were down by two goals at this point. So they really, really needed to like you know kill this power play and it also really hindered the Capitals ability to come back in that game so it was a huge swing Tenorti ended up being okay Sean Corrali ended up being okay where we saw Corrali back on the ice but holy smokes that was just a huge swing in the game and those two plays the Corrali play and the Tenorti play happened in like a matter of minutes it was just electric you hate to see it happen to you guys but this team is tough as nails, and they're going to bounce back and battle through it, which you were able to see them battle through it in this game against the Capitals, ultimately winning 6-3 to and sweeping that little weekend series that I mentioned uh, on Wednesday. So as we look into the standings that I alluded to, Bruins are 25-12-6, where they stand at 56 points total. They are six points behind first place, which is a lot better than what they were a week or two ago obviously the capitals and the islanders just keep putting up points and so don't the penguins as well you do have two you are two games behind the islanders and the penguins and you're three games behind the capitals theoretically if you win all three of those games in regulation you should be able to vault yourself up into first place obviously depending on who is playing who and who's playing where over time again the pity point all that good stuff Bruins are currently on a four-game winning streak right now. That's that's hot. I mean, they're 7-2-1 right now. They're smoking hot. I mean, the Penguins, they're 6-3-1 in their last 10. The Islanders and Capitals are both 6-4. So the Bruins being 7-2-1 is almost a must if they want to try to keep pace with these teams. It's almost a must. And then you look at the team below you, who's 52 points um, in total, being the New York Rangers. They're 7-1-2 in their last 10 games, who are also on a four-game winning streak. So, cannot count out the New York Rangers. They are making a huge push for it. The Philadelphia Flyers, they're 3-4-3 in their last 10, losing two straight. Uh, I mean, they're at 47 points right now. You can basically count them out with the number of games left. But the New York Rangers are two wins back right from you, especially if you're not able to walk away with any points. And they're on fire as well, so you have to keep them in the back of your mind like the three teams in front of you are doing with you. Moving forward, Bruins have a playoff-like series against the Buffalo Sabres that starts tomorrow at 6.30, then Thursday, April 27, uh, 22nd excuse me, at 7, and then Friday the 23rd at 7 as well. All in Buffalo. Uh, it's going to be a crucial series. The Buffalo Sabres suck. They're god-awful. They're the worst team in your division. And it's, I mean, I guess the Devils are only three points better. 
but these are three games you should be able to win, and it'll be disappointing if you're not able to walk away with six points, because those six points theoretically are the difference between you and the Capitals at the top of the division, and you only play the Capitals one more time this year, and that's in Washington for the last game of the season. You play the Islanders one more time the game before, actually, in Boston, and that's it for those two teams. And then after that three-game baseball-like series against the Sabres, you're going to Pittsburgh to play two in Pittsburgh. So it's crucial hockey time. There's not many games left. There's two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, thirteen games left. All right, the season is coming down to a close really, really quickly. So these three games, these six points against the Sabres, you have to get. You have to get them. And that is just insanely fuel the confidence, the morality, the chemistry, the charisma, all that good stuff within your locker room that you need to make a hard push into the playoffs. I really feel confident about where the Bruins are at. I feel the most confident about them at um, out of the Boston sports teams right now. The way they're playing, they just have that look in their eye. They were the top of the division early in the season. They hit a deep lull, but now they're working their way back and they're playing their best hockey. It seems like Taylor Hall, he's checked in. Uh, he really bought into the program. Uh, he walked away with a point. Yeah, he walked away with an assist um, in Sunday's game against the Capitals. So it seems like he's got his head on right. And he may not be back to MVP form just yet, but he's on his way there for sure. And hopefully we can see him kind of get a little vengeance against his former uh, Sabres in Buffalo. All in all, I'm really looking forward to the Bruins uh, for the rest of the season. And I can't wait to talk more and more about them as we get closer and closer to the end of the regular season. Speaking of the uh, end of the regular season, let's talk about another Boston team that is closing in on the end of their regular season. And that is the Boston Celtics. Uh, they won an amazing game against the Golden State Warriors Saturday night, 119-114, to where you saw Jason Tatum and Stephen Curry duel. They both had 40-plus points. Uh, Curry had 47, I think Tatum had 43. Uh, let me just get the exact number there. Uh, Curry, Curry, 47, uh, Tatum, 44, excuse me. And that was a game where we did not see Jalen Brown. But that was a game where we did see Jabari Parker. He gets his first start, uh, not his first start, but his first game in a Celtics uniform. And he gets 11 points in 16 minutes, adding 16, uh, four rebounds, excuse me. And the former number two overall pick is still only 26 years old. He's still young. And the Celtics signed him to a two-year deal. So obviously for the rest of this year and for the rest uh, um, all of next year, essentially. And I think that's a good move by them. They waive Mo Wagner, which um, he literally contributed nothing to this team. Uh, I understand trading Daniel Tice and Javante Green, getting Lou Cornett and Mo Wagner. I understand the move there. Cornett's not doing anything, so don't be surprised if we waive him. But, you know, waving Mo Wagner and bringing in Jabari Parker is such a massive upgrade for the Celtics as a team. Jabari Parker gives you... Uh, that just like, you know, a little bit of juice that the team needs because, you know, there's still a lot of hype around him. You know, former number two overall pick, former Duke Devil. Uh, it's just, I feel like he just was on some bad teams and didn't really get the chance to really thrive and shine with other good players around him. And I feel like being here in Boston, he'll kind of get that chance to have the weight off of him. So for whatever he does do great, 
it will be able to really shine and thrive. And I think being in Boston is that perfect um, opportunity for him. And I can't wait to see what he does for the rest of this year. And also, like I said, next year. But going back to the Celtics in the game last night, uh, this team is starting to feel like it has clicked. Not only in terms of their performance, but in terms of the chemistry, attitude, and morality for this whole Boston Celtics team. They're five games above 500. They're still tied with the Hawks for fourth for the fourth seed in the um, Eastern Conference. I mean, the Hawks, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, as are you. But you're just on a six-game winning streak where the Hawks are only on a one-game winning streak. The Hawks are playing just as good as basketball as you are. You, just, you have to be on a longer winning streak. So... Jeez, I'm trying to record him. We got motorcycles ripping it. Damn. But, <laughs> but you know, the Hawks are a team that you're going to have to take seriously because they're not rolling over. And then if you look right below you, you see the New York Knicks, 7-3, and three, who are on a six-game winning streak of themselves, half game back from you and the Hawks. Those are both teams that you need to keep close, close eye on as we move further and further into the end of the regular season. But... At the end of the day, are the Celtics a team that we can take seriously? Do the Celtics want to make noise? Can we believe that the Celtics want to make noise? Can they be taken seriously as a contender? I ask you this question. Let me know. Tweet at me, DM me, whatever you got to do. At Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. I want to hear your opinion. If you're watching on YouTube, comment down below right now. If you think the Celtics have clicked if they should should be taken seriously, and are they a serious contender? Because I have an answer for all three questions. Have they clicked? Yes, I think they clicked, and I still think that there's more to see from this team because, like I said, Jalen Brown didn't play last night. He has a non-COVID-related illness, so he's not you know back up to speed. He's going to take him a little time to get going. Kemba looking a lot, lot better than what we saw at the beginning of the season. Should they be ta um, taken seriously? Yes. I think the Celtics are in a position to be taken seriously. They are 8-2 and two in their last 10. They've won six in a row. They are starting to turn that corner, if not already have turned that corner. It's just due to that awful, awful middle of, that, middle of the year that they had where they were bouncing in and out of that final seed. Really kind of dug them down in. But... My last question, should they be seriously taken as a contender? There, I'm going to say no. I just don't think they have what it takes to overthrow the 76ers, the Nets, although the Bucks are slipping a little bit. I mean, they're still a better team than you. And then don't even get me started on the Western Conference, you know, the teams out there that are better than you. So contention-wise, I'm going to say no. Eastern Conference-wise, yeah. I could totally, you know... You know, if we're living in a perfect utopia, I could see them getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Probably going to get blown out. But it just depends on where, you know, they fall, where they play, and all that good stuff. Realistically, realistically, second round out is probably what's going to happen with this team. But you never know. There's still a lot of games to be played left. And let's see, for the Celtics themselves. Oh, wrong button. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14. 15 games left. 15 games left, so there's a lot that could happen within this Eastern Conference in terms of playoff seeding. 
They can go up, they can go down. You got to keep your head on right. You got to keep that momentum riding as you play the Bulls today, tonight at 7.30 in just a couple of hours. That has to be a must-win game because the Bulls, they're trying to scrape for that, you know, that eighth seed, but they're five games back from that, so they're probably considered it. They're probably considered out and packing their bags for next season. Got to win that game there. Win against the teams you're supposed to because you got tough games coming up against the Suns, the Nets, the Hornets, the Thunder, not so much, the Hornets again, the Spurs, maybe um, they're battling for that final seed in the Western Conference themselves. And then you got the Blazers, the Magic, blah, whatever. And I'm not going to go over the rest of the season, but you get the point. You got some tough games coming up against the Suns, who are on fire right now, no pun intended. The Nets, who are in front of you, who have beaten you down like dogs. And then the Hornets, uh, twice in a week that you're you know almost neck and neck with, that you keep going back and forth with, although they've dropped down in the standings a little bit. But you don't want to give them any life. You don't want to give them any life. At the end of the day, I really like what I see from the Celtics. I feel much more confident about them now than I did a couple weeks ago, even a couple months ago. I don't think that they've hit their fullest potential in their highest peak just yet. I think they're almost there. I would love to see them win a couple of, couple more games against you know better teams. The Lakers was a nice win. The Jazz were a nice win. The Blazers were a nice win. But I kind of want to see them win a game against the Sun and then the Nets. Win one of those two games, okay. Now we can start talking, okay? <sighs> but overall, overall, the Celtics, and it feels good to be talking about the Celtics in a much positive way now. Unlike we were doing for the majority of uh, February and into March as well, it seems like once April hit, they you know really started to click and play like the Celtics should have been playing all damn year. Oh, those are my thoughts about the Celtics, and it finally feels good to be just getting a lot of good green off of my chest, let's say. And speaking of some good green, let's talk about the Red Sox and the way that they were playing on the diamond in Boston over the weekend against the Chicago White Sox. And uh, I don't know. I mean, they, they're they the best team in the American League, right? 11, yeah, they're still the best team in the American League, but... Something just tells me that they're not. Now, they are currently 11 and 6. They're in the uh, winning the division by two and a half games, which is all nice. Don't get me wrong. And the White Sox are a good team in their their own right. Uh, reigning American League, uh, actually no, they weren't the American League Central champions last year. Excuse me, that was the Twins. Uh, the White Sox sucked. Actually no, they didn't suck last year. They made the playoffs. But a lot of people have hope for the White Sox this year that they're going to win the division and that they're going to potentially make the World Series this year. There's a lot of hype around that team and you were able to split the series with them, which isn't terrible. Don't get me wrong. But I do have a couple things that I want to poke out of uh, what we saw over the weekend from the Red Sox. And uh, let's see, on, was it Friday? Um, Saturday, excuse me. They won 7-4 to against the White Sox. Nice little win there. And then uh, on Sunday, yesterday, they had a game uh, day-night doubleheader because their game on Friday was canceled due to winter-like conditions. Yeah, I mean, you see other teams playing in the snow, but not the Red Sox. <laughs> but anyways, they dropped Game 1 of the doubleheader, losing 3-2 to two to the White Sox. They only got 8 hits in Game 1, and only able to score 2 runs over the course of the 7 innings. Game 2, they did even worse. They lost 5-1, to one, 
where they only able to achieve four hits throughout those seven innings. And it really started to seem like the hitting cooled down a little bit, especially for um, you know, pretty much for everybody during the doubleheader. But it did resume during the game today, being Patriots Day, which was nice to see the bats bounce back instead of going into an early season lull, which a lot of teams are subject to doing. You start out hot, then you get really cold, and that cold stretch could go for a while. You get you start the season really cold, and then you can heat up and be hot for a while. It just all depends. And for the Red Sox, who have a big set of games coming up, uh, quite frankly, which I'll go over in a minute, it was good to see them you know, really have a strong bounce-back game against against a team like the White Sox winning 11-4 on Patriots Day where the game starts at 11 a.m. A couple points I want to make about their pitching is overall, the starting pitching uh, has kind of struggled to go four to five innings in their starts, and especially on the doubleheaders where there's only seven inning games, you should be able to go further into those games where the bullpen doesn't have to be relied on. You should be able to go five, six innings in that game. You should. It sucks, but... That's just a fact, and the starting pitching can barely go four or five innings. I mean, we saw Nathan Eovaldi go six and a third today, which was nice to see. But overall, I mean, four or five innings per start is going to have a massive toll on your bullpen. And speaking of the bullpen, uh, I mean, they've been doing pretty well, actually, generally speaking, I mean, which is good to see. It's a nice little surprise because the bullpen was a huge question mark. You know, among other things for this team, as we entered spring training and then into the season, I like what I'm seeing from them thus far. I am. But going back to the starting pitching, I'd like to see them go at least an inning deeper. I mean, average, right? I mean, Evaldi going six and a third today, I'm happy and I'll take that. You know, you're into the seventh inning. That that That's massive, right? But the bullpen is just being so relied on and they're going to get burnt out. They're going to get burnt out quickly, especially this early into the season. Because we're not playing 60 games this year. We're playing a full 162. A full 162. So pitches going four, five innings is not going to cut it. It's not going to happen. And that's why those day-night doubleheaders where they're only seven innings long, it's not that terrible because you get your pitcher to go five, six innings, and then your bullpen only has to go one or two innings in the first game. And then the second game, hopefully you can get you know, the same results. But, oh, man. It was nice to see Nathan Uvalde go six and a third today, and then you got Garrett Whitlock closing out the rest of the game, going two and a third. Only two pitches being used, one from your rotation, one from the bullpen, which was really nice to see. So, you know, hats off to Uvalde and Whitlock there. And like I mentioned uh, just a few moments ago, the Red Sox have a massive set of games coming up. They got the Blue Jays coming in for a brief, brief two-game series. Um, that'll be a good divisional test, as a lot of people think the Blue Jays will make some noise this year after making moves in the offseason. As it stands right now, the Blue Jays are 7-9 and nine and are three and a half games back from the Red Sox in the division. So being able to win these two games, or at least splitting, will be very beneficial to the Sox as a whole, and it'll be very, very... Um, demoralizing for the Blue Jays, especially early in the season as they have kind of struggled out of the gate. And then on Thursday, you welcome the Mariners for a huge four-game series, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it's a huge four-game series because the Mariners are in first place in the American League West, which nobody saw coming. 
Nobody saw them this coming. Now, could they just be a victim of starting the season super hot and then they'll cool down? Because we've seen that before from them. We've seen that before where they start off like, I think it was like a couple years ago, they start off 17-2 and two, and then they finish with like 68 wins or something like that. Crazy. But we're going to get a good test uh, against the Mariners. They'll get a good test in us to see if they're legit and to see if we're legit as well, which is something that you also need to be on the lookout for. And then you go into Queens facing the New York Mets next Tuesday and Wednesday, which I'll talk more about down the road as we get closer and closer to those games as well. But overall, Red Sox playing very good. They are a lot better than I expected and I thought that they would be because in entering the season, we just didn't know what the pitching was going to be like. We didn't know what the hitting was going to be like. Like we have the names in the in the lineup. But were they going to bounce back from a disappointing 2020? Generally speaking and overall, I would say that they have. I mean, I still want to see a little bit more from Alexander Bogarts, especially in terms of his power, which he doesn't have a home run yet. But he's still hitting the ball, and he's hitting the ball well for an average. Christian Arroyo, someone who I thought shouldn't have made the roster, but he's playing very well right now. He's surprising a lot of us. Bobby Dahlbeck, he's kind of struggling to start the year after a hot spring and a hot end of last year. It's just all these factors we have to keep in mind as we move forward. And speaking of um, players who are hot, how about J.D. Martinez? Jumbo Dong. He's out of this world right now. I mean, he's hitting through the roof. Through the roof. Let me pull up some stats right now for you about J.D. And through 14 games so far, he has you know 55 at-bats where he has 7 doubles, 5 home runs, 18 RBIs, and a 364 batting average. 426 on base, 764 slugging, and an OPS uh, about almost 1,200. So, I mean, you can't expect anything more from this guy. He's playing out of his mind right now, and it's awesome to see because he was a victim of, you know, 2020 struggles and woes as uh, pretty much the whole Red Sox team, let's be honest. But to see him bounce back the way that he has has been incredible. And it's been awesome to see. You know, he's really the driving force of the Red Sox lineup as it stands right now. And if the Red Sox can get this production from him all year round, they're going to have no problem winning the division if the pitching can main its current course. If the pitching starts to slip, goodbye. If the pitching can improve, well, now we're going to be talking. (laughs) Right now, we're really going to be talking. So at the end of the day, I like what I'm seeing from these three Boston teams. I'm not going to talk about the Patriots today as I spend, you know, all of Friday pretty much talking about the draft, which I will definitely go into more and more this week. But yeah, Bruins, Celtics, Red Sox, love what I'm seeing from all three of them. And I can't wait to see more, especially with a big series for the Bruins. You know, some big games coming up for the Celtics. And of course, like I mentioned, the Red Sox, a big, big series this week against the Blue Jays, a divisional rival and a hopeful team that can be taken seriously as the Mariners. But that's going to do it for this one, guys. It was a quick little episode for um, the podcast today, which, you know, I kind of want to be in and out so you guys can enjoy your Patriots Day. That is hence why the later release. I wanted you to make sure you enjoyed your Patriots Day if you observed the holiday. 
But nonetheless, guys, I thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. And if you're watching on YouTube, please leave a like if you enjoyed this episode. It would greatly be appreciated. Leave a comment down below as well. Let me know what you think. I want to hear some thoughts if you have any. And subscribe to the channel if you are new or haven't considered subscribing yet. And if you're listening on audio-only platforms, please be sure to reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, any social media at Merce underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. I thank you so much for joining me on Monday's edition of Merce Boston Sports Talk, and I will see you for Hump Day's Wednesday's edition of the show. But until then, as always, I love you guys, and I will see ya. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.